I bought a copy of the Papa Lip CD, High Time Now, when it was first released in 1998. One of the tracks on it, I'll Be Free, struck me as capturing the optimistic enthusiasm of youth. But what happens to the hopes and dreams of musicians just starting out? I'm Neil Ashworth, and this is I'll Be Free, a podcast about musicians finding a way to make a living, the lessons they've learned, and how they survived, or plan to survive, a life in music. There's a certain type of playing and a certain type of music that I suit. I'm not particularly showy or, you know, I just like to play the song. Rowan Lane emerged from the music scene in 90s Belmain playing rhythm and blues bass. Now in his 40s, he's considered one of the top 10 bass players in Australia. That's him playing the bass line in the opening to I'll Be Free. I spoke to him in a sunny garret in Glebe. You went to Belmain High School, so coming out of Belmain High School, Cara Granger, Mitch yeah. Granger, mm-hmm. Rowan Lane, yeah. you decide to form a band called Papa Lips. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, I'd been playing with Mitch for in high school when we were sort of 14, 15, because at Belmain High there was a, and around Belmain there was a real music presence that was sort of you get ideas from by osmosis almost. So the, the music teacher there, Andrew Banks, also taught Mitch and Carr and Alex Lloyd, you may have heard of as well. Several other friends who have come sort of in professionals in the music industry. Andrew Banks coincidentally went to the conservatorium with my dad and he was uh, he was into blues as well. And, and he sort of was happy that we were into that and passed that on. So there was also a guitar teacher, Mark Williams, around Balmain, who taught us all as well and had a similar sort of love of that kind of music. So we would pick things up from them. And then my first gig, I guess, we did a band competition. I think it was Canterbury Town Hall or somewhere like that. And uh, there was all sorts of different hair metal bands and, and everything else. We just got up there and played, I can't remember, probably an Eagles song and a Blues song or something. What are you thinking at the time? I must admit, I've never, I, yeah, I never really thought about it much. It just sort of seemed to come naturally. It sort of felt like it was almost in the blood. I don't know why that is. I guess because it was so ever-present, you know. And we'd done, I guess we'd done performances at school as well. So that's sort of, we're a bit used to it. After that, another band formed, which I, I wasn't involved with, with, with uh, Mitch and Declan and Alex Lloyd, called The Beefs. And uh, I think they were originally called Slim Le Beef and The Spare Ribs. <laughs> which comes from, I think, Sleepy Le Beef, who was an old rockabilly guy. Started gigging in pubs at like the Bridge Hotel when they were 15. I think they were there every week, pretty regularly. So yeah, by the time Papa Lips had formed, those guys were sort of veterans of gigs. And I just did little things here and there, little performances. It might be in like an art gallery opening or, a, you know, we sort of reconnected after high school. And by that time, Cara was old enough to play in bands too. So we just called upon our own friend Declan Kelly and we all liked the same kind of music. So. And what, what kind of music's that? It, you know, you just got to start with rhythm and blues, really, and soul music. And that's the sort of basis of it. And then it branched off from there. Uh, I guess we started just having little jams at Mitch's house downstairs. We all had some ideas and wrote a few original songs and also just learnt some, some covers. And then started getting gigs around Balmain. At the Unity Hall Hotel, Cat and Fiddle. 
And at that, that time, it was pretty easy to get a, a run. Those guys were a bit more aware of different little milk runs up the coast between here and Brisbane or here in the Sunshine Coast and down to the New South, down to the Victorian border where there was lots and lots of pubs you could play three hours apart or four hours apart. You'd do a four or five gigs in a week and up to finish up at Byron Bay or somewhere like that. That's making a living then. You're, um, you're getting paid, you're, you're getting petrol money. <laughs> Hanging in there and then thinking about recording as well. So we'd sort of be saving money for that. So you're saving money for recording. And why do you need to save money for recording? Uh, just studio costs and pressing the CD, artwork, any kind of promotion you might want to do. Because this is, you know, mid-1990s, late-1990s, isn't it? So the CD is still king. CD is the main thing, and you sell them at gigs, and we probably eventually made our money back. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it took a few years. It's not like today where you can just do it all for nothing. Your first EP with yep. Papa Lips coming yep. up to that, how does that happen? Well, we had, a, we had a little batch of songs, and we were doing gigs, and, the you know, it's seemed like a good opportunity to make some money and, and also get the music out there. So we approached a friend of ours, his name's uh, Mark Collins, He's and he had a little studio at his house, I think it was in on the North Shore somewhere. He called it Shabby Road. He had a you know an old tape machine like the Beatles used to have. It was very affordable. He was a, he was a friend, you know, a musician. So we just went over there and yeah, put down sort of I guess four or five songs, maybe half a dozen songs. I mean, was this the first recording you'd done, or mm, you? No, no, I'd done recordings before, but just sort of in a in a very casual kind of way. This is, I guess, this is getting towards the most being a bit more organised. Um, everything else in the past had been just you hire a studio for a few hours and then cross your fingers basically, and just. <laughs> but this was actually a bit more thought went into it, and you know, it was still fairly organic, but we're a bit more organised at this point. How long did you spend on that? Good question. It must have been just a few days, and then there would have been, yeah, obviously mixing and mastering and all that sort of stuff, which was after the fact. So who does that? Uh, for that, that's a great question. I can't specifically remember who. <laughs> mustered, mixed and mastered that. Uh, it's probably on the CD. Be on the it? CD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know the next one, Phil Punch mixed it, and he's we recorded at a different studio for the next one album. I don't want to jump ahead, but yeah. Yeah, but so you've uh, recorded the EP, you've got something to sell at your yep. gigs, yep. and off you go another couple of years of touring. Then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we started getting bigger, more festivals, you know, blues fest and things like that. Do you remember the first time you played there? Yeah, it's a little bit blurry, but we did because we did a few in a row. Um, um, but yeah, it was fantastic. You know, it was it wasn't as big as it is now, but still pretty big for us anyway. And there was you know good response, and it was in that kind of rough and ready days where you could just sell your CDs from the stage after the gig, so people would come up and be like, oh, bundles of cash. What do we do? <laughs> Trying to, I'm sure we didn't keep track of it properly, but yeah, it was quite easy to people just like something and buy it straight away on the spot which is i guess people can still do but it's more formalized with the cd store and the, in the festival and yeah commissions and all this sort of stuff in 1998 papa lips was awarded best new band the australian blues music awards okay and, and 98 uh, important year because that's when you cut uh, high time now that's right yes yeah, it's, it's Like you're up to it. Yeah, full album. And we had a new member, Clayton Dolly, played organ on this one. Old friend from Adelaide originally, but he's a... So it's, it's quite a big band, isn't it, really? Yeah. Really we'd just we'd pile into the back of one of those old sort of bubble-shaped Taragos. And because uh, you, you couldn't afford to fly in those days, before the onset of uh, Virgin and Jetstar, it was 
really just not affordable for smaller bands to fly, so all of the gear would be shoved into the back of a Tarago like a Tetris sort of puzzle, and then uh, you'd cram into the seats shoulder to shoulder. And, but you just didn't think about it when you're young. You just that's what you what you do. And just like food is, yeah, you know, <laughs> there'll be food at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so then you cut high time now, okay, and then you've got something bigger to sell at uh, gigs. Yeah, yeah, and then we, we sort of continued along the same path for another another two years or three years, and then 2001 it took a bit of a change. I don't know how's the best to describe it. Basically, uh, we had, the songs started getting a bit different. I guess a bit almost a bit more rock and roll. And there was more of a focus on Mitch and Cara, which was kind of just happened naturally mitch somehow had a connection with harry vander so that's where that sort of changed sort of thought how can we move forward or up in an upward direction as it were because we're sort of getting tired of driving up and down the coast and being broke all the time we did some demos with with harry vander at alberts in neutral bay must have felt really pleased about that yeah yeah that's pretty good he's an amazing guy mitch had some connections way back in balmain because malcolm young had a mansion there and there was a tennis court there was a little club of people who played tennis Mitch was a sort of quite a proficient tennis player to, to the level of being an, an instructor when he was younger he did some recording with Malcolm Young early on when I think they won another band competition in high school and, and the, what the prize was to go in the studio with Malcolm Young so he had this sort of ACDC Alberts connection early on and through that yeah he ended up don't know how exactly he ended up talking to Harry but yeah <laughs> that's how we ended up there did the demos and then Mitch and Cara went off to New York to have some meetings at some record companies, and they got to New York on the 9th of September 2001. Yeah, 9th of September yeah. New York. So, yeah, so they just, I wasn't there, but all I know is that I woke up one morning and turned, I think my brother rang and said, turn on the TV, and then I realised that they, you know, were right in the thick of it, and they'd literally just, they were having a shower, getting ready to go to meetings. And they did the same thing, turned the TV on, went, well, over there, <laughs> that's not good. And then they got stuck there for, I'm not sure exactly how long, at least a week or maybe even two weeks. And everything got cancelled across the board. And there was a real sense that Americans were just not engaging with anything to do with signing acts from overseas. It was just all, they just looked inward at the time and was sort of hanging, trying to work out what to do next, I think, so... Yeah, that sort of was a bust. That whole thing kind of, the steam went out of it. The wind went out of the sails. And uh, So you're back here in Sydney. What, what, what's your next choice? Both Declan and I had already started playing with different uh, acts in various sort of genres. So we just sort of started exploring that. We kept sort of moving along with the... It was called Granger at this point. Uh, the name changed. We did do an EP and sort of continued along the same way. Got a new manager tried some things out and then it's just sort of I think everyone had just wanted to go there and do their own thing basically it really I guess the time had passed <laughs> so yeah yeah I kept playing around us I'd started doing some gigs with uh, Robert Seuss from the Dynamic Hypnotics and the Mighty Reapers just filling in with him sometimes when the bass player was unavailable which was amazing for me playing with those guys and Dave Brewer and you know, these are the people we used to watch when we were kids playing around Balmain. So it was, that was a bit of a thrill for me. Another guy, Eugene Bridges, American guy, blues singer. He started touring and I started playing with him around the same time. So, and he'd do sort of pretty extensive touring around Australia and doing Blues Fest as well. And, and then just after that, that, you know, a few years went by, 
I went to China for six months. That's right, yeah. Just out of the blue, some someone got a gig at a place called the House of Blues and Jazz in Shanghai, which is you play six nights a week. Yeah, it was an amazing spot in the sort of French concession over there and had that, that sort of 1920s, 1930s vibe about it. I mean, is this an expat crowd you're playing to or is it Chinese? Well, a bit of a mix, a bit of a mix, yeah. Because it was a, it was on a bar street, but it was, I don't know, it, it wasn't like playing a hotel gig. You know, that was an actual club. So you know, it drew expats, but it also drew locals who were interested in jazz and, and blues. Big premises? What's your crowd like there? You can probably hold a couple hundred people. Crowds varied, it just depended on yeah. I think it was a labour of love for the owner, but it's still around. <laughs> I remember you initially just went there for a couple of months. but you... That contract ended and then there was a club that opened in Beijing leading up to the Olympics, I suppose. They were trying to trying to get that going. It was around the corner from the Forbidden City. It's called the Ice House because that's where they used to store the ice for the palace. I think that was a, some foreign investors sort of started it up. And we went there for another three months, and that place didn't go so well for whatever reason. It was a very quiet three months. We'd be playing to <laughs> just a few handful of people sometimes. But um, I guess they were hoping it would pick up running up for the Olympics, but I think it's closed now. It didn't last very long. Do you feel some sort of validation from that? Yeah. There's a, real, there's a certain type of playing and a certain type of music that, that sort of suits, well, that I suit, I suppose my approach so I'm not particularly showy or you know I just like to play the song and uh, just sit in the pocket and stay out of the way mostly <laughs> but you know still drive it but it's 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 a, it's a little niche I suppose and the, the people that play that kind of music are mostly my friends now so we all know each other and we all know and it's you can tell straight away the kind of people that like playing like that so it's just, it's just an approach that people who do that gravitate towards the same sort of things so there's a certain amount of validation, I suppose. Session work? No, no. I mean, the session work has never been a really... Like, I've done a fair bit of... If you're talking about recording, yeah. I've done quite a bit here and there, but not like a, you know some those guys who do advertising jingles and TV work and things like that. It's just, it would just be here and there. I did some stuff at the Wiggles studio a few, you know, a few times and then I'd, I'd do a blues record or I'd, I'd do a, you know. The Wiggles sort of stands out as not quite in the blues and roots genre, doesn't it? Man? Where did that come from? The, um, the main songwriter, John Field, I started playing his band. He's got a, a band that does corporate work and um, he's an old blues country pop rock and roll guy and he wrote a lot of those songs so yeah he's he's a uh, he was a sort of driving part of that I think and all the guys in the Wiggles actually have come from that background that's that's sort of music they like growing up and like playing it's really where they come from even though it may not sound like it on the but if you listen closely all the feels are kind of shuffles and boogies and rock and roll feels and you know it's just done in a different way because <laughs> they do say hit music or you know popular music you, you've either got to be able to sing along dance to it or it makes you cry yeah well, it's definitely singing along and dancing for that one it's for a certain age group <laughs> i mean john at one point was sued well not personally but he wrote hot potato it's just a you know rock and roll feel and there's these lawyers out there whose their job is to just try and prosecute copyright infringement based on nothing just hoping that they you know, speculatively almost so they tried to sue the wiggles over that song i think it was to do with the see you later alligator which was written by bobby charles new orleans guy who's been dead for 30 years or something so it was nothing to do with him it was just but it yeah, you know, we got thrown out of court, I think, in the end. You're playing in bands, you're doing a bit of session work, studio work, and your sort of gigs seem to get with bigger and bigger artists. Uh, yeah, 
I went through a little phase, and again, it was just my connections with sort of rootsier musicians who were doing those gigs, who thought they're my buddies and they just wanted to hang out and play, I guess. But I started playing more of the sort of acts that would be Sony music acts or, or people who were on the, vo- the Voice or the Australian Idol, or, you know, which I wasn't really across personally. But uh, I think the first one I did was with Guy Sebastian because he had just done a record in Memphis and uh, just done a tour here with Steve Cropper and, and Duck Dunn and a couple of other American guys and playing that sort of Stax soul music, which is, I thought, great, that's right up my alley. Perfect. So, it, it, yeah, made sense at the time. So I did that for a couple of years. When you say, oh, I did that for a couple of years, what, what did that? Just touring. Yeah. With Guy Sebastian. Yeah, with Guy Sebastian. I, don't know, I did some. Axel Whitehead was another guy. I did some stuff with Stan Walker, Kiwi guy. It's not really my my bag. <laughs> Can you make a living out of it? Yeah, look, it's really difficult. Because you know, I'm I'm thinking, oh, I'm playing with Stan Walker. I'm playing with Guy Sebastian. I must, you know, Ryan must be rolling in cash. You know, it's his turn to shout. <laughs> no, no, there's a real, really low ceiling that you hit pretty quickly. You know with that sort of thing i mean the, the artists can make a lot of money and people are showing up to see them so that i guess that makes sense but um often the band to be honest doesn't get treated all that well financially for whatever reason it's, i don't know who decides that <laughs> but you might make five or six hundred dollars a show which is fine if there was four or five of them a week but that's often there'd be huge gaps of you know where you're not playing at all and it doesn't really add up in the end and then there's the old thing is if, if you're playing with someone regularly, people think you're doing that gig. And if you're away for a bit, then they don't think you're free for other things. And you get back and you've got nothing, which happened to me a few times. You'd go away for a, you know, a month or something and then, oh, I'm not going to call Rowan because he's busy doing that. And then you get back, it's like, oh, I'm not busy now. <laughs> I've got three months with nothing, you know. So it's, yeah, it's a juggle. Um, Rodriguez comes along. Yeah, that was yeah that was uh, right out of left field. That one, a friend of mine who I'd played, uh, Terrapi, who was the drummer in Guy's band when I was doing it, who's probably like the top drummer in the country. I'd say he's played with everyone. Yeah, he just gave me a call out of the blue, and they were looking for someone. I guess he's he thought of me, from what they said, <laughs> someone who's not too showy, someone who just plays the song. So he gave me a call, and my first response was, "Yep, yeah, I can do that." <laughs> Some people are just different personalities. They want to be, you know, impose themselves on it, do solos and be out the front. I've got no interest in that. I'm just happy to be playing as a part of the group. And this was a particularly... It needed to be a, a very specific approach for this because it was just the three-piece band. It was actually just going to be Rodriguez with the two of us at one point with bass and drums, but the guitar player from the UK ended up coming out, which is good because he's been doing it for years. And Rodriguez is guitar playing. He's good, but he's getting a bit old, isn't he? So. Yeah, look, it, it, it's. I really like it, though. It's yeah. just unique, and it's just, anyone who sounds like... You, you can instantly hear him playing, oh, it sounds like Rodriguez. And it, yeah. it's got a real... I'm used to playing with odd characters who would just start playing and not tell you what's what the song is. There's no set list. You just have to be watching their hands. And, and it was like that with him, because he'd just start playing. And luckily, the guitar player sort of sort of knew what was going to be the song, and, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few... Interesting moments, but you get through it because we're used to doing that. Terrapi is the same. He can just—he's been playing since he was a little little kid. We were quite nervous, I guess. So we went into the room to talk to Rodriguez before the first gig, and he just said, "I said, hey man, don't worry about it. Music's just some major chords and minor chords and a bit of rhythm. We'll have a great time." <laughs> After we just went, "Great, but what are we playing?" <laughs> no, you know, it was fine. 
it actually relaxed, relaxed us because you could tell that he was just relaxed. You sort of, if someone has confidence that you can do it, then you sort of feel better about it. And we did. It sounded great, I think. And that went on for a while. Yeah, it, it, uh, we did a quite a big tour of Australia. And then he enjoyed it a lot and he had some tours coming up in the in the North America, so he booked us to do that as well. So that's something I'd always wanted to do would be tour overseas and I'd finally sort of finally got there. I was like, Great. <laughs> this is fantastic. I love this and you know, my visa kept getting delayed and it came down to the last like few hours. The Rodriguez's manager was eventually had to just say, "Look, I'm going to have to get someone else to do this because I don't think." You, you... And I was trying to talk to the consulate, the U.S. consulate in Sydney. You know, I was emailing them like ten times a day and trying to. There's no, you can't ring them. Staking out in the lobby of the, in the building, just sort of <laughs> like this weird, sweaty, nervous guy. Probably not a good look for the outside the U.S. U.S. consulate. <laughs> But eventually, um, he just had to make the call. He said, I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to get someone else to do it. And so they flew the, a bass player from the UK out to LA. And then I'd sort of got through the anguish and just sort of resigned to the fact that it wasn't going to happen. And then uh, the drummer, Terrapai, who was there, called and said, hey, I um, want to be ready. And I didn't understand what was happening. It turns out the bass player had flown from London and been deported because he had the wrong visa so he'd come out and then just been turned around and they didn't know what was happening with him because he was in you know interview room <laughs> at the airport so that he, then the manager had to actually say oh, well i don't know what's happening with this bass player i'm presuming he's been sent back to the uk so can you fly out now so i had to get a flight that night i missed the first gig but made the rest of the tour and we were doing theatres. We started in LA and went down to San Diego and then drove all the way up to Seattle, stopping along the way. Yeah, it was just a really amazing experience. And then he had two more short tours booked in the, on the East Coast and in Canada. But then I got sick, yeah. And I had to cancel, cancel the, the next tour. That's the tough thing about it. <laughs> if you miss one thing, then suddenly you're on the outer and... Uh, you sort of missed the boat. I mean, this was a big choice you had to make, didn't it? Because you could you could have gone on the tour. I could but, have, yeah. Uh, but your health would have suffered because... Potentially, yeah. The, the cardiologist that I talked to said, look, you, I mean, I don't care. about. I'm not here to tell you. I don't care about your music right now. It's not important to me. He said you could go, in, but you could also end up on a respirator for the rest of your life. So that sort of made the decision for me. It's not really worth you know, risking that, plus the fact that it's the US and if I had a health issue, you know, I, I, I was uninsurable because of the condition. And you, you, know. you and all your family members would That's be right. broke. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and generations to come. Yeah, it would be, wouldn't have worked. But I don't know. It, we got through it. It must have been a drag and, you know, a tearing in your heart. Oh, br- it was brutal. Yeah. yeah. And then Rodriguez was supposed to come back, I think, in 2019 to, to, to tour here in New Zealand. And they asked me to do that. It was great. I can't wait to do that. And then they called me in the middle of the night and said, oh, I'm really sorry we're cancelling the tour because Rodriguez is sick. <laughs> <laughs> the perils of playing with a, an older artist. But I totally understand. Like, it's, it's, a big, it's a lot of effort for him. Things settle down. You're back playing in various bands. You're also working. You've got a job. A good job. Yeah. A good job was a, good, a great job uh, at APRA AMCOS. So as a writer services representative, so in, any composers or writers who had questions about anything to do with royalties, we'd be the first point of call and try and get answers for them. Or, you know, it could be anything as simple as how do I log into my account to complicated, you know, uh, overseas royalty issues and publishing stuff. I was really enjoying it. 
and it gave you room to play. Yeah, that's right. And they were very, yeah, very accommodating with it. They said that we like the fact that you're, you know, it's still the only job I've ever heard of that they, they like the fact that you've been playing music for the last 25 years instead of what have you been doing for the last 25 years? That was great. So it, it almost seemed too good, but good to be true. And then it was because uh, COVID. COVID happened, and then I thought. All my gigs have just disappeared in a week. But it's cool because I've still got a job. I can, you know, I'll be okay. And then I lost my job because of COVID as well. Because they lost live royalty. All the income that comes from a live gig licensing went away, which they don't have much room to spare because they're sort of almost non-for-profit kind of organisation. So all they could do is um, get rid of wages. So they've, they've had to let a lot of people go over the last year. Yeah. And then all the gigs went away. And so it's been a strange year. Yeah. How do you get by then? A lot of people got JobKeeper, a lot of musicians. Um, I couldn't get it because I was working at APRA. That was my main source of income. And because I'd only been there for nine months and they hadn't lost enough of their overall uh, income, I wasn't qualified for that. So I had to go on the job seeker. Even with the supplement? Yeah, which keeps going down. It's except there's no work yet, really. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. There's just going to be this weird stage where there's going to be a lot of creative people who would normally be working who have got about 10% of the work they used to have and their inc- the bonus income is just going to dry up. I think it already has. I remember it because on my radio show I used to have a weekly gig guide for just what was happening in Hornsby, Karingai. And over the weekend there would typically be 20 or 30 gigs happening just in that area and when the space of two weeks gone. It's going to take a while and it also some things won't come back because they just went away and people... Like what? Uh, certain venues, you know just went under people who were you know probably just hanging in there in the industry just have probably had enough and gone on to do something else because it's just you know they can't pay their mortgages and all their rent or whatever i think it's only just changed with the two the four square meter rule has just been removed i think so they can start booking more gigs so it might start picking up i'm probably uh, irrationally hopeful that there's going to be a, a spate of <laughs> bookings <laughs> uh, you know but we'll see People just be desperate for music, live music. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but... You've got nothing going on for nearly a year now and Blues Fest is coming. It'll be fun. Is it like... Because it didn't happen last year, did it? It didn't, no. They had to cancel it. And this year it's just all Australian acts for obvious reasons. Although the person I'm playing with, Cara Granger, she's based in Nashville now. She's flown back for this, but she's had to quarantine for two weeks in order to do the festival so she'll probably be in quarantine longer than she's actually here in the community but uh getting out of quarantine and then heading straight to the festival you know you're going back to blues fest it's all australian acts how does your schedule look you uh, climb in the back of the old tarago and <laughs> it's pretty much at that point again for yeah. the for this we're just it's been so so it's a difficult year that i'm just happy to to be able to play and do a festival like that we'll just be jumping you know in a car and driving up we don't need to bring all the gear which is great so we'll be all up there already just bring our guitars and putting the band back together again Cara granger we're doing her songs but She's done, yeah, three or four records in America now. Funnily enough, everyone's going to be there from the old days. So Declan's playing drums. Danny's going to come down. He lives in Brisbane now. He's going to come and sit in on percussion. And Mitch, her brother, is here as well, just coincidentally. So he'll probably get up and play some harmonica and it'll be like an old reunion. <laughs> what do you do for accommodation there? Generally speaking, they'd provide it. But for some reason, I don't know what's happening this year. Um, I think they just provide money, enough money that you can book your own accommodation. So we just had to find somewhere. Um, somewhere as close as possible. It's going to be a, a bit of a five-star camping situation, probably, or maybe a motel or something like that. I wouldn't, again, wouldn't have thought about it if when we were back in the early days. <laughs> Just great, we're happy to be here. These days, it's kind of like, oh, 
It's a long way to go. That's <laughs> a long drive, but it'll be great fun. Things are starting to happen again. There's Broad Beach Blues Festival in May as well, which is a good, quite a big festival, and it's really well organised. So we'll be doing that one up there with a different band. A few little gigs in different towns coming up. Maybe we can fly again, so. So hopefully uh, this, this is it. You'll look back on the 2021 Blues Fest as emerge blinking into the light. <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops over the next basically the rest of this year. We won't really know until the end of the year, I think. Because you're committed, aren't you? You are a musician. You're a full-time musician. Yeah. I don't know what, what the hell else am I going to do at this point. <laughs> no, you know, I am as much as like practical. It's what I do. Yeah, you're right. That's what I've been doing for... That's what I love doing. So as much as as painful as it can be sometimes, I think it's worth it in the end. I have to remind myself sometimes. <laughs> it's okay. There's it's, it's, it's some really good things as well. Do you feel free? Not really, no. <laughs> just like you said, coming out of COVID, it's been, yeah, it felt like the whole industry just got washed away in a, in a tsunami, basically, overnight. And I've just been staggering around sort of with a bunch of friends going, what, what, what happened? <laughs> sort of punch drunk and, you know. But we've tried to be positive. We've, we've all been sort of writing new music and recording. I think that's been a pretty common, yeah, try to use the time effectively and get get something out do something constructive which is which has been really good because sometimes you don't don't have the time to do that when you're touring and gigging it's hard to fit that stuff in if you look back on high time now you know there's that song i'll be free and when you listen to it the feeling of it is in the future there's lots to look forward to but now you are in the future yeah well i can see it as a possibility because i'm not there yet (laughs) oh god it's yeah it's it's you keep getting little curveballs thrown at you that make it difficult to, to be completely free. But it's more of a headspace thing. If you can concentrate on the on the good things that are happening, then it's you can get a little bit of freedom, I think. You know, just enjoy things as they're happening. And when you sort of climb on the stage and, you know, plug in the bass, and that must feel good. Yeah, it does. feels normal. I almost don't even think about it anymore. It's just a natural state of being. I think it's different for front people, for singers, and, you know, they just often really get off on that on that interaction and being you know in that different completely different headspace and the and the, the euphoria and that sort of thing and the adrenaline but when you're just standing up the back it's more of a relaxed sort of thing you've just got to concentrate and <laughs> although i must admit one of the rodriguez shows i'd never quite had the feeling before but was it up at the, the hope estate winery or somewhere like that hunter valley and there was ten thousand people sort of the most i'd played to before and I think it just sort of perfectly developed over the afternoon. There was a bunch of other bands on and it built and built and built until well, we walked out the band. Night came, a huge collective puff of marijuana smoke <laughs> came up in the air and they all just started whistling. And that was just for us walking out, you know. They didn't know who we were, but they just knew Rodriguez was coming out. And I just saw the goosebumps on my arm. I'm like, ooh, this is, this is something different. There's a that famous bass line from I Wonder. As soon as I started playing it, the whole crowd started screaming. I'm like, hey, I didn't do anything. I just, I just, just copying his bass line from Bob Babbitt or whoever wrote it 50 years ago. Yeah, just, you could just see that real interaction. So there is that. More of that, please. <laughs> A week after recording this interview, Blues Fest 2021 was cancelled. I gave Ryan a call to see how things were going for him. 
Well, Mitt. Rowan, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Uh, Rowan, last time we spoke was about a week before Blues Fest. You're all excited to go there, and then it was cancelled. That's right. Yeah, we'd uh, we'd had some rehearsals, plans to make our way up, and yeah, and then everything went away. <laughs> Overnight, essentially. Uh, yeah. were, were you able to sort of fill in the gap a bit? Are you able to pick up a couple of gigs? or I, I luckily was, yes. So it wasn't too bad, but lots of other people weren't. Most of, pretty much everyone else wasn't that I, that I know. Because uh, I caught you uh, in concert with uh, Cara Granger about a week later. That's right, yeah. So she really was hit hard because she'd flown out from America to basically to play at the Blues Festival. That was the main reason, and that, that went away. And so you picked yeah. up any other work? Uh, that weekend. Well, really, since since then. In how, general. How, yeah, how's, yeah, how's the booking look? look? Th- things have been looking you know, steadily better. Um, of course, this weekend again, Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's happened again, so I've had a couple of things cancelled just because of the restrictions. And I think nobody really knows what's going to happen there. But the, uh, this is the way it works, isn't it? It's not like uh, if your gig gets cancelled, you don't go on compo or sick leave or something like that. You don't no. have some minor stream of income. It's all no, no, gone. It's gone. And, you know, this is always, I think, realising more and more that this is going to be the, the way it is for the foreseeable future. Just always lurking in the in the wings is this possibility that your work can go away at any moment um, and there's not much you can do about it. I mean, for instance, there's another blues festival in two weeks up in uh, at the Broad Beach Blues Festival in Queensland, which I'm supposed to be going to, but who knows, depending on how this develops, because yeah, that was cancelled last year as well. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Ron. Take care. That was Rowan Lane. You can catch him on Instagram at Rowan Lane. That's R-O-W-A-N-L-A-N-E. Most of the music you heard was created by Rowan or recorded live at concerts he's playing in. In the next episode, we'll be talking to drummer Declan Kelly, a founding member of Papalips, and then we'll round out the Balmain trilogy with vocalist and guitarist Cara Grange. Produced and mixed by Neil Ashworth on Goringa Country. Intro music is I'll Be Free by Papalips from the album High Time Now. Check out the website fishwishing.com.au for all the other details, including a track list. <laughs>